You're listening to the VoiceOver Hour podcast, brought to you by the VoiceOver Network, with special sponsors, Rode Microphones, Source Elements, Studio Bricks, and Focusrite. My name's Rachel Naylor, and I'm your host. The VoiceOver Hour podcast takes you behind the scenes in the voiceover industry, sharing stories, insights, and so much more. The VoiceOver Hour podcast will be dropping every Tuesday. It'll be up to an hour long, some interviews more, some less, and I'm going to be talking to wonderful experts in the voiceover industry who are going to share their stories as well as share information and advice for you. I started the VoiceOver Network five and a half years ago because I wanted to create a safe place for voiceover professionals to come together to help and support each other, to get the right information and to strengthen this amazing industry we work in. The VoiceOver Network is a global community of voiceover professionals and I'm so proud of what we've created. I want to empower you on your journey. This episode was recorded on the Roadcaster Pro Podcast Production Studio, the amazing all-in-one podcasting console from Rode Microphones. Hello and welcome to the VoiceOver Hour podcast with Jeff Howell. Jeff Howell has been an agent and casting director and radio producer. He was also the VP of production at Worldwide Radio. He has produced radio commercials and network radio TV promos, served as a post-production supervisor and director, directed narration and so much more. And he now runs his own company, producing and directing all things voiceover. So uh, welcome, Jeff. It's wonderful to have you on the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm thrilled to be uh, speaking about voiceover because, you know, I love talking about voiceover. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Yeah. And it's so, yeah, it's so lovely to have you on. Um, so, I mean, you've, yeah, you work in, you've worked in lots of different areas of, of the industry. Um, do you want to just tell us how you got into, got into the voiceover industry? How did you get started? Sure. Well, you know, early on in my life, I used to, uh, when I was a teenager, I got involved with a community theater group in my hometown and really enjoyed working with performers. Uh, you know, I did appear on stage, even though I didn't really feel that I was uh, really an actor at heart, even though I enjoyed going through that process of, of working in productions. But I enjoyed more of the backstage aspect of it and all that. And then when I went to college, I decided to go to a university that had a great uh, broadcast film and marketing department so that I could kind of uh, expose myself to another type of the entertainment business. And so I sort of focused more on radio and television. And then once I graduated from college, I did work at a PR company in Boston. That's where I went to school. And I did that for about a year. And that was interesting, just getting that perspective and dealing a lot closer with the uh, ad agencies. And then I left and I went to New York briefly, but then I decided while I was in New York that I really wanted to live in Los Angeles. So I moved out to LA, not really knowing how I was going to be using my degree. Um, I had all these skills. I had directed some TV in, in, in Boston and definitely I worked at a radio station doing news. I was a news anchor and a news writer for a while at the local radio station. And so I'd had some, some exposure to both radio and television 
And then, of course, with my theater background as well, I had definitely exposure to acting and, and, and actually I directed some theater as well. And so when I moved to L.A., I really wasn't I really didn't know what I wanted to do. It's one of those things where I just kind of appeared and thought, well, I want to be in the entertainment business. And so what happened was just through happenstance, a dear friend of mine introduced me to an extras casting company and they needed an extras casting director. And so I worked with this company for two years and I worked on a lot of shows and it got me on sets. And what I always tell people is that job showed me what I didn't want to do. And because <laughs> I observed a lot of different crafts on sets and I thought, eh, no, I don't want to be a gaffer. No, I don't want to be a cinematographer. No, I don't want to be a wardrobe person. So it allowed me to kind of uh, expose myself to the industry on that level and just uh, kind of decide right there that I knew that I really didn't feel like being on a, on a set all day. Uh, but what it did was, it, again, it exposed me to more people in the entertainment field and, and kind of able to network through that. And then Long story long, I ended up, uh, that that job ended, that company went under. And so I was temping for a while. And I told the temp company that I wanted to work at production companies and talent agencies, because I had heard that if you really want to learn the business from the ground up, uh, work at a talent agency. And so they placed me at a number of different agencies. And one of the ones they placed me in was uh, Abram Jubaloff and Lawrence, which had a big, big voiceover department. And they placed me in uh, that department. And it was love at first sight. I got there and sat at that desk and immediately it just seemed to resonate with me because it was really drawing upon a lot of skills that I had had that I'd learned over the years and companies I'd worked for. And so, cause you're dealing with actors on a one-on-one, -on -one, you're able to direct them in the studio, in the office. Um, and then, and, and just, uh, just learning the craft there at Abrams, Jubaloff and Lawrence about how voiceovers worked, negotiating rates and all that. And so they offered me a position within two weeks. I took it and I worked, I was made an agent within the first year. And then just through happenstance, uh, the director of the department left and they made me director of the department within two and a half, three years. And I stayed there for an, another, uh, couple of years after that. And then I decided that I wanted to go into a more creative aspect of voiceover. And so I left that position and I went to a production company uh, called Burt Burtison Company. And at that time, they were one of the biggest, if not the biggest radio production companies. And they were really known for their radio comedy. And that was at a time, I call it the renaissance uh, of, or the golden days of radio in terms of commercials, because there are all those wonderful sort of uh, spots that were written for all these characters. And we had all the sitcom stars in every day in our lobby. And I was able to work with a lot of them, direct a lot of them. And so I had that job for about six or seven years and just loved it. But I also decided I wanted to leave that job and go into more uh, production and directing. And so I went to Worldwide Radio, as you mentioned. And then that's where I honed my craft over the many years there being VP of production owned my craft in, in being um, a director of promo and because they primarily focused on promo and promos became really big during that time. And so, you know, I had a lot of great clients and I'm still friends with a lot. And then I was there for 17 years and then they scaled down because the economy had changed and I decided to open up my own company. And so I've been working on a variety of productions and, and I love it because I'm not only working on radio and TV, but I'm working on dubbing and I'm casting animated series. And, you know, like, like you said, all things voiceover, I get calls, random calls quite often. 
And it'll be, can you direct this? And my first answer is yes. What is it? And, you know, because it's just learning how to direct actors and I love working with talent. So I think, does that answer your question? Nice. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. And it's amazing. And and how wonderful to kind of, to be, to be seeing all the different, different areas of the industry and not just kind of being in one. And, and my next question was going to be, what do you love about your job? Well, you know what? I think that um, I have such a huge, massive respect for voice talent. And, you know, I think that you can have a well-written script. You can have beautiful uh, elements in the script, whether it's music or visuals or sound effects, whatever. But if you don't have a good performance, then you just don't have a good spot or a good product. And so I really do think that, you know, I've been very fortunate to work with the best talent out there. And mm. so I've been spoiled, but I have such an appreciation for great talent. But I also like working with new talent. I like nurturing new talent as well. So, um, and the trends change, by the way. But the thing is, yeah. I think what I like about my job most is working with talent and I appreciate talent. And, and I think that it's so gratifying for me at the end of the day to go and listen back to what I've worked on and just really just enjoy the wonderful performance that the actor provided. Nice, nice. And you talked about trends. Um, obviously, trends in voiceover, you know, have changed over the years and we've kind of seen lots of shifts. Um, we, we saw a kind of announcery read then turn to the conversational read. We've sort of had the millennial thing going on. Um, what do you what do you see happening at the moment in, in terms of trends in, in voiceovers? Well, I think that, you know, let's face it, pop culture and politics certainly influences what's happening in our world on all levels. And I think that, you know, uh, understandably in our country right now with such a, a shift in regards to minorities, ethnicities and racism and all that, that we're seeing some uh, more uh, progress in diversity and in all areas of voiceover. I mean, it's it's opened up quite a bit over the years, but it's definitely becoming more of a casting sort of um a mandate uh, to offer diversity. And so uh, so I'm seeing that as being probably the biggest trend right now. Now, a year from now, who knows? I do think that there's still that strive to be less uh, sort of announcery mm. and presentational. And, you know, instead of saying conversational, I like to say connectedness because, you know, conversational is sort of a strange term because, you know, maybe conversational to one is not to another. And so I think being connected to the copy emotionally is the key because we just want to make it sound like that you care about what you're talking about, whether it's a promo or it's narration or a commercial, you know. Mm, nice, nice. And for anyone kind of listening who, who struggles with that and thinks like, yeah, have you got any kind of tips for people in terms of, 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 of getting connected with, with well, the script? I think that... Um, I think that it's a mixed bag out there in terms of the type of spots and how they're written. And the thing is, it's just, you know, um, some spots are written beautifully and smoothly and they seem very natural in the way they're written. And so it seems it's easier to just sound conversational and connected. But then there's some that are full of cell or some technical information. And yet it's up to you or it's uh, to the actor to make it seem like it's their words. So the tips that I would give people, first of all, familiarity with the script and the subject matter, because you're not going to connect to it if you don't know what you're saying and you don't know anything about what you're talking about. So I think logically, uh, in terms of you, when you do your script analysis, you need to understand uh, the overall sort of uh, spot itself. You want to uh, study the structure of the spot. You want to make sure that 
you understand exactly what the tone is. And then I think once you educate yourself and rehearse it in, in with that understanding in mind, you stand a better chance of sounding connected to it. And then, of course, you can use all these wonderful devices that are out there, you know, one of which is the, the infamous lead in where you emotionally lead into a spot uh, with maybe choosing a phrase that helps you connect to it. And then you lead right into the first line. And that can obviously help. But, you know, some actors don't like doing lead-ins. They'd rather do some sort of um, imagery, like they'll think of whom they're talking to or maybe the location of where the spot is or viewing the product in their mind's eye as they're reading. I mean, it truly is theater of the mind, as we know. And by getting that sort of building the spot, if we're we're speaking specifically about commercials, um, if you're building the spot in your mind, then it might help you connect to it a bit more and sound more natural. The last thing you want to do is sound like you're reading words off of a page unless you're asked to do so. You know, sometimes there are those spots where they say, we want you to sound like you're reading a letter to someone or something like that, you know. Yeah. So, and in that instance, yes, you can sound sort of stilted and all that. But for the most part, you definitely want to sound as real and smooth. And and I say smooth, it doesn't mean polished. It's just smooth. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Good. Awesome. Lovely tips. Um, and then, and also you, you're working on, you've been working a lot of dubbing projects recently. Um, which, which must be exciting. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the world of dubbing is, is, is really changing at the moment, isn't it? It is. It's really opened up. Mm -hmm. It has. And I think that the reason why is because, you know, we're looking at a voracious appetite with these, uh, these new platforms that are out there, such as Netflix and Amazon prime and Hulu and now HBO max. And so they need product. And yeah. so either they're taking material that's already been shot and then they want to localize it for the markets, other markets around the world, or they're doing what Netflix is doing quite a bit of is that they're sort of, uh, they've created this sort of uh, machine where they'll have a, they'll have a, a, an original Netflix original being produced in, let's say in France. And they'll, the minute it's shot, they're shooting it to all their offices uh, all the all the offices, the dubbing offices around the world and having them localize it for these various languages so that they've taken now Netflix has taken one project and or one product, if you want to call it a product, mm. and they've made 20 products out of one product. And even though it costs money, it's not the same amount of money as if you were doing an original from scratch. They're just adapting it and localizing it. So they are spending money. It does cost money to dub projects into other languages but not the amount of money it would take to have people on a set and, and to just reshoot the whole thing in a different language. So, so it just makes a lot of sense. And what's an interesting sort of, um, it's a new phenomenon in our country, because you can imagine in America, you know, the United States being for many years, the center of the entertainment universe, basically. And we would farm our projects out to different countries. And then these local, these countries would localize it and adapt it to their, you know, their language and and now it's happening in the reverse because we have all these platforms here in the United States and these platforms need to be fed. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about content is king, as they yeah, kind of say. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Which is exciting. And so and, and, and I, yeah, I think it's really it's fascinating, you know, the fact that, that there's a there's a huge demand for English speaking dubbers at the moment and and i know that we've we've yeah there have been lots of courses going on and what makes a good what would you say makes a good dubbing voice actor being a good actor yeah yeah (laughs) and because i'll tell you this 
you know, and I listen, as I said earlier in the conversation, one of the key things I like about this business is working with some extraordinary talent. Mm. I have actually auditioned people whom I've used in commercial and trailer and promo and other areas of VO, and they're extraordinary. But when it comes to dubbing, it's definitely there's a unique skill set. And so they haven't sometimes been my go to in terms of hiring, even though they're wonderful people and some of them are dear friends of mine. But it does require a bit more of a sort of a theatrical mind. And mm-hmm. I say theatrical mind in that it's this being able to transcend being in the booth and looking at a monitor and reading the rhythm band, which are the words going across the page for the dubbing and being able to place yourself in that situation emotionally, physically, and to be able to give a performance that's extremely realistic and not mm. acting to the microphone. And, and that is tough. That is tough. Mm. Most of the actors, um, you know, if, even if they're uncomfortable with it, they get, they love it by the time they're done because they're like, oh my gosh, this is great. I'm, this is a whole different kind of acting for me. And, and it's wonderful. Uh, but it's, I think that the skill of being, uh, being a good actor and being able to, you know, manifest or bring a performance, a natural performance, so that it sounds like realistically that your voice is coming out of that mouth. And it's in that situation that they're in. And, you know, acting, you hear, for example, emotion in your voice, like tension would be tightening the throat or breathy, meaning you're scared and, or, um, you know, just all those emotional triggers that we hear naturally. Mm-hmm. But at, at being able to do that, even without me directing you now, I will direct actors to, you know, I'll say, let's tighten the throat or there's a tense scene or whatever, but it's wonderful when an actor just goes in and they've got it. They just become that character. And so that's what I'm really looking for first and foremost is just being a really, really good actor. Nice, nice. And I and I mean, I've, I've not actually done that, but I've done some dubbing auditions, but it's, I mean, it's, it's tough. It's exciting. And it's very much like, you know, um, tapping your head, rubbing your stomach, jumping up and down, you know, and say, singing the alphabet backwards. There's, kind of, there's an element of that because you have to be so, to be so present. And there's, there are lots of things going on, but it's, yeah, it's, it's exciting. It must be wonderful, you know, when, when, when it works and when it, you know, when you nail it. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, yes, definitely. I'm extremely gratified when I watch a scene and the lip movement matches perfectly to the, uh, to the actor's voice. And that's a very difficult thing to do. And, and trust me, we have spent hours and hours trying to line up the lines and, and, you know, a lot of it depends on how strong the adaptation is of the actual translated material to, cause you know, adapters will sit for, for days and days and days viewing the mouths of the actors and trying to rewrite the lines to match the lip flap. And that's, I have, I really tip my hats off and I've done yeah. some patients as well. And it's just extremely time consuming and, and, and it's difficult. It, it really does exercise your brain because you have to kind of expand your vocabulary. Mm. And also you have to always take into consideration the context of what's being said and but you have to adapt it in such a way that it works in terms of the context and the humor of it. But also you want to look at the lip flap, the length of the line, the, the breaks within the line. We call them hitches um, or just, you know, overall, just really thinking about how we can, you know, if we can start the line with the right mouth movement and end it with the right mouth movement. then in the middle, we try our best. But sometimes we we don't hit 100 percent because it's sometimes just impossible. Mm-hmm. Every, and it really has made me a bit more aware of 
mouth movements of different languages. And, and, you know, sometimes it looks like you're saying something because we're hearing it. But if you turn the sound off, their mouth isn't moving at all. Mm. But yet there's still sound coming out. I found that in some of the Japanese languages that I had to adapt, that there's a lot of a, a lack of mouth movement, yet there is still some audio coming out. And so we have to figure out ways around that because then we have to really compress the amount of dialogue because if their mouth doesn't look like it's moving, then we can't have words coming out of that mouth. Even if you activated the audio track of that original actor mm. and you hear some sort of sound coming out, but if it doesn't look like it, then as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't exist. So we're having to take these longer lines and sometimes say them within one or two or three words. And so that's really tough. Gosh, yeah, amazing, amazing. And so you're, you, I mean, you, you, you're a producer, you're a director, but you also, you cast as well. So, uh, and I think the, the thing for lots of voice actors is like, yeah, they want to know where. So, so where do you, how do you cast and where do you, where do you find talent? Well, it depends on the project, but yeah. you know, for the most part, you know, of course, you know, if it's just a standard voiceover sort of requirements, you know, that sort of thing, then I'll go to my known talent agencies. And you know, in LA, we're so blessed with so many great talent agencies. And a lot of these agents are very, very dear friends of mine, longtime friends. We've all been in the business for so long and, and, and I trust their taste. And sometimes I'm working at such a speed that I don't have time to kind of go on their websites and start listening to voices. Sometimes what I'll do is I'll have them recommend people and I'll go back and listen if I can, if I don't have time to run auditions myself or, you know, in non-COVID times, I would try to run them here at my, in my studio here at LA Studios. But if not, uh, right now, I just farm the scripts out and the actors now are just let, putting themselves down on tape now. Um, and so anyway, but the thing is this, it's, uh, I, I will go to other cities. New York, of course, has some wonderful talent agencies and there's a lot of talent that lives in New York and on the East Coast. But now, you know, it's the, the business is expanding so much that, you know, I can go to an agency in LA, but yet they are representing talent all around the country or around the world. So, you know, for example, if you're with, let's say, DPN and, and they send out the copy to you, so you're auditioning for me, even though I didn't call London, you know, yeah. so. Yes, yes. So it's, uh, and, and I think with COVID, I will tell you, it's, I can tell you right now, there are about five or six actors whom I use quite a bit and they've moved away there. They've gotten out of LA. And so they've got yeah. families and they decided this was the sign. Our business has changed. And even with technology, I can still work. So why not live in a different market? Um, don't want to be in LA anymore. And so, uh, so our sort of need for people to be in town has diminished quite a bit, even though I love it when the talent's here, because there's a whole different type of directing that I do when they're in person because it's the yeah. physicality of it and all that. When you're patched in, you know, like for animation sessions, we still Zoom so we can see you and you can see us. But thing is, it's still not the same. Yeah. Uh, so my preference is always in town, in, in studio. But of course, COVID has changed that for the time mm. being. So. Yeah, yeah, which which is yeah, it's a it's a funny one because yeah, I think uh, uh, you know Los Angeles has very very much been the center of you know a lot of a lot of production and and yeah, as you say, I think COVID has kind of opened things up um, in the fact that now you know everyone is is being forced to to work from their home studios, which means yeah. that that you know. If you're in in London, maybe you've got a better shot of, of a few things in LA, you know that kind of thing, which is just right. quite interesting. But vice versa as well. 
and mm-hmm. um, you know so so yeah so that's exciting this podcast is sponsored by focus right Focusrite's range of Scarlet Audio interfaces has already helped make more recordings than any other interface in history. And with the third generation, you'll sound better than ever. The Scarlet is enabling millions of voiceover artists, musicians, podcasters, and content producers to record, mix, and playback audio in studio quality everywhere, all the time. Find out more at Focusrite.com. I was going to ask you about kind of how you have, have adapted and, you know, to the COVID and to the changes um, that that we've seen kind of from the current situation? Well, I think that, you know, I've I've been used to sending auditions out to agents for the last couple of years. Uh, so so in terms of casting, uh, it's it this has been seamless for me pretty much. And then in terms of production, I have uh, you know in terms of production, I have seen a bit of a change in terms of how business is done because of COVID. And so it's made me, it's forced me to adapt to that by using more technology to accomplish my job. For example, at the height of when COVID first happened and everything shut down, I was in the middle of a dubbing project. And so I was used to just going into the dubbing facility and directing from those studios. And, you know, we, Occasionally, would patch an actor in, but for the most part, the actors were in town, and so I was used to being able to direct them in person and call it a day. But because of COVID, we shut down, and then they figured out a way through technology for me to be able to direct actors from home. So that required me to kind of step up my game in terms of informing, understanding how to use Zoom. Even I knew how to use Zoom anyway, but I, we went a little further into it for dubbing and then also just the comfort level of directing from home and trying to achieve the same thing that I, what I was trying to achieve when I was actually in the studio. So I think that, you know, my, certainly my growth has, has kind of advanced in terms of my home setup. And, um, and I just think it's the new way of the world. Yeah. Yeah. We, we all need to, yeah. Technology, we have to, yeah, just have to kind of up your game. Um, absolutely. Um, and so um, I wanted to ask you about training and the importance of training for voice actors, because, um, you know, I, I'm a big believer in, in the fact that, yeah, we all need to continue to train um, no matter what level we're at as a voice actor. Well, training is key. I mean, that's the bottom line. Training is key. And, you know, every person's different. There are some people that may only need a little bit of training before they do their demo reel and start trying to get agents. Uh, but there may be some people that they didn't come from a strong acting background. And so they may require a bit more tender, loving care in terms of trying to uh, find their voice and their performance. And so it might take a bit more time before they do their demo reel. And to that point, you don't want to do a demo reel until you're absolutely ready Um, But I do think training is key and it never stops, really. I think that because, you know, the trends change, as we were talking about earlier in the conversation. And so I think you always need to make sure you're in tune to what's going on trend wise. And a lot of that just comes from home study. I'm not saying everyone has to be out there and have a, a, a sort of a instructor kind of on speed dial or anything like that. I think there's just a lot of onus on the actor to just constantly be working on their craft. I don't think that all of a sudden you graduate from voiceover school and you never have to study again. So there's no real magic bullet to, or, you know, sort of timing when your voiceover career has evolved in such a way that you never have to train anymore. I think training is continuous. 
but like I said, it doesn't have to be a huge financial investment. You can do a lot of training on your own. But I will say that in that you should always check in with an, a professional once in a while. It's just good to have another pair of ears on your actual read so that they can give you feedback as well based on you know what you're going for and the trends that are going on out there at that time. They can give you maybe some really good uh, sort of perspective outside of your own perspective, you know. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And with technology, there are there are now online workshops and you can do one-to-one coaching. And there's also lots of webinars and podcasts like this one. Uh, and the Buzz Magazine, just going to throw that in there. Uh, the Buzz Magazine, guys, if you're not reading it, you should. Um, so, yes. Um, and then the other thing that um, that's very important, and I think, um, I'm sure you'll agree, is networking. I mean, how important do you think networking is for voice acting? Well, I think in any sort of professional sort of uh, arena, networking is very important. Mm. Um, but it's always, you know, it's done in different ways. And again, I keep saying this, but the COVID, COVID year is it's just networking is a little different. But yes. in years past, let's say yeah. that, you know, as you and I know, we've met, we met at yes. uh, what a, the Atlanta convention. We did, didn't we? Yeah. And so, and that's been a wonderful, you know, sort of experience knowing you and being able to come over to London and teach for you. Yes, you came around to London. That. And we've we've been on the the kind of speaker circuit, haven't we? Exactly. Going to all the different, which is so fun. It is fun. It, it is fun. I was just saying this the other day that it's just, that's a component of our business that I miss terribly because I love yeah. that personal one-on-one with the actors and with, you know, coaches like yourself and actresses as well. So, you know, the thing is, I think that networking is key because it puts a face to the name and name to the face. Yeah. It's also just a way to create sort of a, a sense of community in yeah. the business because it, you know, it's ever, it's huge, it's growing. And I think that uh, to just basically be around it and, and connect with it on that level puts you in a better position when these opportunities come up because there's that association, mm-hmm. you know, like when I see your name, if you've been, if you've been recommended to me for a job or something and I'd see your name, be like, Rachel, I love Rachel, you know, because I know you, you know, yeah. so it just makes sense. And so networking I think is really, really key, but we're in a year right now, obviously it doesn't count because there aren't these conventions. I mean, there are these, you know, of course there, I've done a couple of these Zoom sessions and things like that, but it's not the same. The one-on-one networking I think is key. I think, you know, for people who want to sort of do these massive email blasts and that sort of thing, I think there's certainly nothing wrong with it, but I don't think anything works better than the one-on-one. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic. And um, I, what would what advice would you give to young Jeff Powell? Save your money. <laughs> <laughs> I know I, I hear my father's voice in my head. God rest his soul. Uh, you know, telling me many, 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 many years ago, save your money, save your money. But in all seriousness, um, what advice would I give a young Jeff Howell? I guess, are you speaking specifically in the context of voiceover and, and acting or just in life in general? I think in life in general. I think, you know, aside from obviously, I think it is good advice to save your money. But I think yeah. <laughs> another another thing is that um, I'd say enjoy the ride. Mm. Acknowledge the good times. Um get through the bad times as best as you possibly can. Um, but 
I think it's just as we get older, we realize life is short. I know it's a cliche, but true, it really is short. And so, you know, we have these wonderful moments. And I think it's interesting uh, that we sometimes as humans, we gloss over them. We don't see it sometimes because it's just it's there and it's obvious and we don't see it. But then I think as we get older, we start thinking back on those times. We realize how special those times were. So if I could go in, in the past and speak to young Jeff Howell, I would say, save your money. <laughs> I would say, enjoy those good times. Awesome. Wonderful advice. And I think, yeah, I think I think we can all kind of really relate to that, I think, with what's going on in the world, thinking back to the times when we could see each other and get on, jump on an airplane and, yeah. I, yeah, I miss Los Angeles. <laughs> and Los Angeles misses you. <laughs> and I miss oh, London. I miss London. Yeah. I, I mean, this time last year, I was... Oh, no, I'm sorry. This time, this year, I was supposed to be uh, in, in Italy. So, wow. speaking. And that didn't oh. happen, obviously. So, oh. but there'll be other conferences. other and we'll all get beyond this strange 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 time in our world and hopefully have learned something from it maybe yes. and then also uh, get back to what we consider our new normal whatever yes. that will be you know? yes absolutely absolutely well it has been an honor and it's always wonderful chatting to you thank you so much for joining me on the voice over hour podcast well thank you for having me i really appreciate it i look forward to seeing you again soon yes definitely definitely thank you thank you for listening to the voice over hour podcast brought to you by the voiceover network with special sponsors road microphones Source Elements, Studio Bricks, and Focusrite. The Buzz magazine is actually the only magazine in the world dedicated to the voiceover industry. It's available globally, in print and online, and in English and Spanish. It's a quarterly magazine and it's filled with reviews, interviews, stories, up-to-date information. The Buzz Magazine is a wonderful platform that builds bridges for voiceover communities around the world to come together to share relevant information. And I'm incredibly proud of it. My name's Rachel Naylor. Thank you so much for joining us. Make sure you check out our next episode where we bring you more behind the scenes stories in the voiceover industry. listening to a podcast company podcast. This was made by Podcast Syndicator, where we help you go from start to grow to making money with your podcast. Let us help you share your message and your voice with the world. Reach out now, Jason at podcastsyndicator.com or Brett at podcastsyndicator.com to find out more. Thank you for listening and do come back to hear nothing but the best podcasts.